Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today. If you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band. You can download it on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to our show, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people. So if you want to share your story, please reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. We're always open to hearing what others are doing. And if you haven't checked out Dementia Map, please do so. It's a global resource directory that also has a calendar of events and a blog and a glossary of terms. So there's lots of great information to mine and it's free and you're not asked for any personal information either. And if you provide a service and want to get in on Dementia Map, you can grab a free listing or we also have to enhance listings as well. Feel free to uh, reach out to me for more information or just go to DementiaMap.com. Also want to give a shout out to Arthur's Memory Cafe. We gather the second and fourth Wednesday of each month at one o'clock central time. We do that virtually. Anybody can come to that. That is for people living with dementia as well as their care partners. And then on the last Wednesday of the month, Brookdale North Oaks sponsors an in-person gathering called Caregiver Connect, where we meet the last Wednesday of the month at 10 o'clock. And the person uh, with dementia will get some respite care during that time. Again, reach out to me for more information. And then if you happen to be in Minnesota as well, on May 25th from 5.30 to 7.30, I will be at the Friendship Village in Bloomington and uh, be doing a presentation called As the Cookie Crumbles. That is free and you are welcome to attend. That is uh, specifically intended for professionals. And then I want to give a shout out to the Memory Camp, which is at Moon Beach in Wisconsin from August 15th to the 18th. You can reach out to them to register your family to go. And that number is 715-479-8255. And let's see, I have to mention MODS awards. You only have until Monday, May 16th to get your application in to win $5,000 for an individual or up to $25,000 for an organization that is doing good work in the arena of dementia care. And then MODS Ventures has three different criteria. They are giving seed money, 50 to $100,000 on that. So you can go to modsawards.org or modsventures.org for more information there. We are gonna hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. 
as a talk a little bit about the foot bar walker and then we're going to be right back with our guest today which i'm really excited to talk to because we're going to be talking about legacy and learning to document the journey so we'll see you in just a few I love the footbar walker and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest, there are some clients who despite our best rehab efforts just aren't able to return to performing a sit to stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, we are back and I get to introduce you to George Slade, who is a writer and photographer based here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. He is the author of My Father's Shirt, which documents his father's journey with dementia, as well as George's journey alongside him. He also works for our friends at Gentle Transitions, which is the Twin Cities original senior move manager. Well, George, I'm so excited to have you uh, join the show today. I think your journey is an important one. You're, you're documenting it a little bit different than the norm out there. And I, I love variety. I think it inspires people um, mm-hmm. to, to look look at themselves and what they can do differently. And I think it's, it's really empowering. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Lori. It's great to be here. Yeah. I always, I always start with the same question for all of my guests. And that is, you know, I've, I've mentioned that, you know, your father had dementia, but sometimes there's other family or friends that you've dealt with as well. Can you give us just kind of an inside peek in terms of how you've been touched by the process and the people? Well, I'd, I'd only known Alzheimer's and dementia in other forms from a distance in the past. Um, so with my father, it was like jumping into the deep end mm-hmm. um, from the very outset. Um, you know, it's it, as, as I think about the deep end, though, it's kind of a shallow pool that gets deeper and deeper and deeper until you realize that your feet aren't on the ground anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you're really swimming in it because of the changes that happen so slowly. You know, it's interesting when you said um, from the onset, because we think of the onset of the disease, but it really affects everybody around Oh, absolutely. Them as well. And I think sometimes that's so ignored. You know, it's the it's it's the process we're all going through um, along with the person who is diagnosed. And you're, you know, you're the visualization of the shallow pool and then walking and going, ah, I thought this right. was the shallow end. <laughs> <laughs> what right. happened here? Throw, you know, right. throw me something. It gets kind of overwhelming. I think that um that doing the book was what really enabled me to to 
feel that that decline mm-hmm. to really, you know, slide into it a little bit more easily than than maybe my siblings were able to. Because I was I was close to him and close to him for a period of three years longer, uh, photographing mm-hmm. and taking notes. So it really enabled me to get a sense of, of his his smaller changes and the incremental mm-hmm. nature of that of that journey. I was going to save this question for later, but it seems appropriate now. Did you find when you were writing that you saw things you didn't see before when you were on the journey? Absolutely. Um, well, it, it's funny because the writing and the photography happened very close together. Mm-hmm. Um, for the majority of the of the pieces in the book, um, I would photograph in the morning and probably that evening go home and, and write an Instagram post. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to think of posting on Instagram as actually writing. But I realized once I started, you know, I, I was aware of editing and moving words around and the thought that had to go into creating the words um, that I was definitely writing. Um, so it's not a it's not a form that a lot of people are are used to looking at in terms of serious issues. People are more accustomed to seeing pictures of their dinner or you know their friends' cats. Um, for me, Instagram became a really important way of getting support, having a network, um, really sharing my impressions and my and the way that people, other people who had experienced the journey, were able to chime in with me as well. And that meant so much to me. So with Instagram, some of our listeners might not, you know, have experience on that. Are you limited to a word count at all, like you are on Twitter and things like that? Or There's, there's no limit to the word count. Um, Twitter is, is really uh, sort of uh, sound bite or visual bite um, centric. And Facebook is about your friends. And Instagram, I think, is about um, the sharing Really, I, I just come to feel like it, it's the space where I can share my thoughts and, and images that happen to go along with them. So the images and the writing kind of happen together. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some pieces in the book that required me to look back over the whole oh, four years of the picture making mm-hmm. and do some new writing to uh, uh, make the book all fit together. Like I had to explain what Instagram was to some people. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Have a look at it, and you know what what kind of an app it is. Uh huh. Oh, I I can totally totally believe that. Now I have your book here. You you shared this with me, and I I so appreciate it. And I have to ask right away. You know, your title of your book is My Father's Shirts on the back side here. You've got a few of them. Uh, how did you pick that title? Well, you'll notice that I'm that I'm wearing a, a shirt that I might easily consider one of my father's shirts, also. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a title that came to me as I considered my relationship with my father and with, for that matter, with my grandfather and great-grandfather. We were all given the first name of George. We all had the last name Slade. We all kind of came from a a solid family tradition where we were the oldest child of oldest children and sort of born into a preppy, business-minded community here in the Midwest. And so I always had the feeling like metaphorically, I was sharing the shirts that my father wore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book, um, I, I wasn't sure that I was writing a book until I spent a, 
couple of years working on it, um, the book pointed out to me that shirts became you know, something much more metaphorical, uh, that I shared this sort of skin with him, um, that, that the shirt became something that, you know, that, that linked us um, in a formal sense, but also I, I do wear his shirts. They fit me, fit me much better than his pants do. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a sense of connection and at the same time distance that I feel when I wear his shirts, sort of like this was his life. My life is a little different, but I can feel his life. I can mm -hmm. feel his life through, through my skin when I wear one of his shirts. Okay. Now, I, I do want to mention, because you just shared with me that your father just recently passed. That's um, right. Just mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. So we want to share our condolences with you and wrap you in love. And what a, what a nice way to be able to honor him, though, you know, his legacy. I, I oh, I know. I, I've been looking back through the book and, and, and I can feel that the emotions ratchet up <laughs> as, I, as I look at these pictures and, you know, I might not have recognized it at the time while I was doing it, but I definitely am seeing in retrospect how the the project is just so heartfelt. I mean, obviously it's mine, so it's heartfelt, but it it really taps into that kind of close attention that you can really only give a loved one, um, you know, someone who, and I should mention well, it's a whole other topic related to uh, to COVID and quarantine and the opportunity that, that the disease gave me to mm -hmm. spend really close time, really, you know, just in his room, basically, two mm -hmm. of us in his room over a period of four to five months, um, you know, where I was able to visit and I would be there three to four times a week giving him his breakfast. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling. Where was I? Oh, you're no, you're fine. You're you're telling your story, you know, and uh, saying how COVID, you know, gave you that space, you know, to really be together. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Ironically. Think, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think um, and then when you even when you mentioned just being in his room, I mean, you're not you're not being together and being out and about and social. I mean, it's just it's this closed situation where it's just the two of you. Right, and right. Sitting, sitting where, where our toes can touch, basically, or actually my knees were often touching his knees as I would feed him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what a what a neat opportunity to, to switch things up, because I'm sure it just, you know, you probably fed him, you know, at different times throughout. But to have it be that consistent and, and that close of a time frame it looks different. It's got to feel different. Well, and, and that's the nature of, of the, of the time and the attention that I was able to pay. Mm -hmm. It's like, I really started to get a sense of, you know, my, my presence there, what my presence, how it was mattering to him. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, how, how much he was really on this journey by himself. You know, he was, he was definitely in his in spaces that only he could understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I, think, I think we want to project so often and, and say, oh, well, you know, he was definitely happy this day or, you know, he was, he was really looking at me and seeing me. And I don't always believe that to be the case. I think there's, you know, a large part of the, the Alzheimer's sufferers life that we can only imagine. 
Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things when I look through your book, you know, I, I, to me, it's, it's a legacy, but it's also in sharing it, it's helping other people learn how to document. And then it's also educational, but it's not just your dad's story. It's your story with your dad as well. Oh yeah. That takes a lot of bravery to publish that and a lot of courage to open the door to something that intimate. You know, it's, it's, I think you're right about that, Lori. Um, it does take courage. I think that I learned that from my father. I think that he gave me a kind of curiosity and willingness to go into sort of questionable spaces, just mm -hmm. spaces where you might not be always aware of what your answers were going to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, the question that I've had and that I had to kind of deal with was, would your father have approved of this, of publishing this material? And it really kind of took me aback because I had never, it had never occurred to me that he wouldn't approve. Mm -hmm. um, I think he, you know, not because he was an egomaniac, not because he just loved seeing pictures of himself. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think he would have objected because of uh, the signs of uh, the Alzheimer's. Um, but I think that uh, I think that he approved of my curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that he he liked the fact that photography gave me a reason to ask questions and to look closely. And you know, I I have to believe that that the gift of attention here really made a difference to him. Oh, um, for sure. And it, know, and it made a huge difference for me too. Yeah. Cause it's, it's the, it's the gift, you know, of, of documenting everything, but it's from his perspective, I can only imagine what a gift it was to see, see how much you care. Right. You know, and, and, to take and, that time to, you know, to take those photos. Um, I remember uh, with my mom was in a nursing home, for example, and I, and I took out a camera one day to take a picture of her. And I said, okay, let's say cheese. And people that were sleeping with their heads down all popped up and, and smiled because everybody knows what that means. And a photographer can hmm. not, well, nowadays they can take a picture without paying attention by just yanking their arm up with their iPhone and stuff. But in the day, you know, when someone took a picture, that was a hundred percent plus attention on you. It was it was an event. Yeah, it yeah. really it really was. For for the for the book and for the work that I've been doing, the the camera had to become like an extension of my hand. Mm -hmm. There was no way I could sit there and and frame a photograph. You know, mm -hmm. holding a single lens reflex and adjusting f stops and focus. I had to use this device, mm -hmm. you know, this device that, that we all carry around in our pockets, because if I was photographing with my left hand, I could be feeding him with my right hand, mm -hmm. you know, and so the, so the camera had to become less of an event, it had to become sort of a non-event. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know how much dad was ever aware of being photographed, but I certainly know that at times he would be reaching out to, to, grab hold of this object I was holding in front uh -huh. of me. 
Oh, so interesting. I have, some, I have some funny pictures, funny pictures of him with his hand coming up like this in front of the camera. Enough already, enough. No. Yeah, yeah. Bug off. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, or maybe it's my turn, you know? Right. Let me Ooh. take some of yours, you Ooh. know? I mean, you well, just, that would have been interesting. Yeah, you just you just don't know. Well, what made you decide to write the book? When Usually there's a turning point for someone. You said, I... I didn't really know I was writing a book in the beginning and stuff. What what was your turning point to go, yeah, this needs to be a book? Well, I'm deeply involved in photography, the photographic arts and photographic bookmaking. Mm -hmm. um, strangely enough, it didn't occur to me to, to think about this project as a book until mm -hmm. maybe a year or so into the Instagram posts. Someone uh, who I respect, who's a book editor, you know, suddenly put on her book editor hat and, and said, mm -hmm. you know, I think the book editor in me sees this as a book. Mm -hmm. And I was a little taken aback, like, whoa, gosh, why didn't I think of that? You know, and so I started to started to sort of ponder how it might turn into a book. And at one point, I even made a little uh, Shutterfly book. Or, yeah, just a little a little like mock up. Mm -hmm. a book that looked like this, just for my own sort of reference. Um, and when I showed this little project to um, to a book designer, they got very excited about including Instagram and all of the language and exchanges and support that happened on Instagram into the final book. So I have a very traditional mindset in some ways, mm -hmm. sort of the my father's shirts part of my design mm -hmm. um, that would have the design of a photo book be super simple and not have a lot of captions and just images. But uh, when I started to think about it as a book, it really became obvious that I could use this, use the book as a way of describing my journey mm -hmm. um, and, and how I found support during the the three really intense years that dad was in memory care. What made you pick the bright color yellow? <laughs> I was, I was hoping you would ask me that. Um, because right here I have the turtleneck that he, that he wore for several of the, throughout the book. And you'll notice it's more or less the same color. Yep. If yep. you flip through the book, occasionally you'll come across pictures of this of this turtleneck, and it's so striking. It's a uh -huh. color that that my friends in high school told me never to wear. Yeah, um, and my father was never afraid to wear it. So, to a certain extent, it it sets off the conventional notion of his sort of non-fashion. Yep, yep. Um, you know, that, that these kind of formal business shirts, the button downs, the cotton Oxford cloth mm -hmm. shirts, you know, were offset by dad's, some of his choices, which were mm -hmm. very quirky. Yeah. And that yellow, yellow turtleneck is definitely foremost among them. So I wanted to honor that uh, in the in the book cover. You know, you have such great photos. Like, I, I just love this one. I just. Thanks. Yeah. I just love this one. What's um, what made you do half the face versus most people would think you would do a whole face? I think that's where all the interesting stuff was. Mm -hmm. You know, at that moment, um, I was I was looking at him, and that was where the illumination was best. 
Um, and I just loved all his wrinkles and, you know, it, it became so difficult to find that twinkle in his eye mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I really wanted to close in on that. And that was, that, that was about as, as close as you can get with this camera, camera phone and really have things remain in, in, in crisp detail. Okay. What about what about this one here? Let's see if I can get this. It's hard to see. It was it was taken while um, I was setting up a, a Christmas Zoom for my family, and Dad was kind of drowsing while we were mm-hmm. setting up the setting up the, the the view. And and as I was puttering around, I noticed that he was sort of at rest in his seat and very relaxed. And I said, "This is this is a moment." This is mm-hmm. not, this is not the, this may be the hardest picture in the book for some people to take because mm-hmm. it doesn't show him in, in, um, it shows him in, in a, in a posture of the disease that is totally common mm-hmm. um, and, and was certainly, you know, familiar within my experience of him, but it, it had that distancing effect. I show him on the on the, the the video screen, the TV screen, you know, as 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 we're waiting for the rest of the family to join us. But um, such a scenario that so many families went through, and so many people living with the disease went through. So I think it it's, it's, it's really, doubling. Yeah, it's it was, a doubling effect of yeah. Yeah, really powerful. And then like this one, people might question, what were you what were you looking at here? You know, with the hearts on the carpets or I don't know if you can see I can yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um well hearts on the carpet. Doesn't that sound isn't that mm-hmm. fun? The mm-hmm. idea that my mother and my father and I were sitting there, um, three hearts together. And mm-hmm. when I look at that that the window frame, it looks like the three of hearts mm-hmm. as a playing card. That was also the last picture I took before COVID quarantine set in. Okay. So it had this sort of sweetness to it about recollecting those times when we could sit together because there was a period of like five months in which mm-hmm. we could only visit by video and that was terrible. It just didn't work at all. Yeah. You have um, like this one too is really cool with the dog. Uh-huh. And stuff. I mean, there's, there's so there's just such a wide variety of moments that you captured, you know, in the book. And um, I just, I just think it's fascinating. Now, is this, is this your mom? That's my mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. They, they had, have been, had been mm-hmm. married since uh, 1956. Um, and they just kept adapting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as, as the, as Alzheimer's took, took hold and, you know, mom had the dog. The dog moved in after dad moved out, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, and and the dog was really her dog, is still really her dog. Uh-huh. Um, and sugar, you know, was just sugar was the maybe the last in a series of dogs that my family will have had. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly Labradors and hunting dogs, but um, but a couple of there's there was a toy poodle along the way that was not uh not the wisest choice <laughs> <laughs> well and i would imagine um you know for your dad too to if he knew or not or you know spiritually connected knowing that your mom had a companion in the home you know when that was your history as a family was probably really comforting to to everybody 
Right. And, and I think that that picture is a wonderful example of my dad's spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, just a a kindness, a curiosity, and he loved dogs. Um, Mm -hmm. he loved living creatures of, of many sorts. Um, and that gentleness of, of just greeting an, an, a fellow animal, a fellow creature, I think was really part of my dad's spirit. You know, I, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm thinking about spirit and I was, as I was witnessing my father's passing, I had in mind that there would be a moment at which someone would see a spirit leave mm-hmm. his body. Uh-huh. You know, I, I was sort of wondering if that phenomenon would take place. Mm-hmm. And... After he died, I, I had a feeling that, that it hadn't happened. But then mm-hmm. looking at a picture like this one of, of dad with the dog Sugar, you know, it makes me realize that I witnessed his spirit leave in increments over mm-hmm. a long period of time. Like mm-hmm. during the time that I was photographing and making these, making these notes and whatnot, I, I was witness to my father's spirit leaving him. I know some people believe in that and some don't. I know like when my dad passed, um, he had brain cancer. I had my hand on his chest and I felt the electricity go right out of his body. Wow. And, and I was, my brother was right there and I'm like, touch his chest, touch his chest. And, and Scott's like, I don't feel anything, but dad and I were so connected, just mm-hmm. so connected. And I'll, I'll never forget that moment. And people go, didn't that scare you? And I'm like, oh no, it was such an honor, such was- a blessing. It was a remarkable moment. And when I say it was easy, mm-hmm. it just had this sort of flow to it where my, my siblings, my, all three of my siblings and I were there. We'd mm-hmm. been there with my mother for 10 hours, basically listening to the same sounds. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when that happens over a period of 10 hours, you, your attention might drift a little bit. You start mm-hmm. talking with your siblings. You start sharing observations with various people and, and your attention drifts a little bit. And then all of a sudden my sister, you know, says, oh, look, his eyes are open. I mean, which was the first time in however long. And we quick, you know, look over at him and it's as though he wanted to get one more glimpse because within a minute or two after that, he was gone. Yeah. And it was, it was so, so lovely. I just can't think of a, of a nicer I mean, I, I hate to say easy because obviously it wasn't easy, but it was smooth. As comfortable as it could be, you right. know. And, right. And, right. And he died. He died in hospice care, so there was no tubes, no bleeping monitors, no any of that. So yep. it was incredibly graceful. Oh, that's nice. Now, in writing your book, I would imagine, like most authors, there's some barriers that you had to you had to jump over. Um, did you find any barriers for you from anything from writer's block to funding? As I mentioned before, the quarantine um, really shut down anything, everything in 2020, mm-hmm. um, and that video visits just weren't very effective. I did have some pushback from family, certain parts of my family who weren't exactly thrilled by what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I have taken that in stride and I've had support from my mother all along. So, you know, it, if she had objected, I think I might have had to take a different course. Mm-hmm. Um, the book was self-published. So the idea of funding a book 
of this scale. I mean, it's not a, it's not a hundred thousand dollar book, but it's not a hundred dollar book either, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to publish it. Um, so I was fortunate though, to receive almost a hundred percent financial banking backing for the book from friends, family, friends, and other supporters. So it was in some ways paid for in advance. Did you do like a GoFundMe type thing or? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. I did a fundraising with a, a platform called Fundly. Excuse uh-huh. me. And that was, that was super helpful. And then my mother decided to write a few of her friends. And that was also, that was incredibly productive. A good amount of support in that area. I mean, I only only printed 500 copies, so I'm not, I mean, much as I would love to make a kajillion dollars doing this, mm-hmm. it's not the reason that I decided to publish the book. It was really much more to to chart, to have a way of, of recording this journey that I took mm-hmm. and to be able to share it in a in an easy sort of physical form with with um, with friends and family and others who might you know, benefit from witnessing the journey. Have you ever thought about coaching others in terms of, you know, other care partners in terms of pulling something like this together or documenting it just for themselves? I have not. I've, I've thought about, you know, sort of offering my skills as a, as a, as a photographer to Mm -hmm. sit with them and their loved ones, but I don't think that would work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it was so special to me and my father, it's not a skill, that skill that I could market outside. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it, that would be an interesting conversation to have with someone who would, was thinking about documenting. Yeah. Cause there, there are, um, there are people that speak on that specifically. Hmm. So even like the, the speaking circuit talking about your journey and stuff and communities, you know, pull in their care partners and have you come out and, and talk about that. Um, so that might be a way to, you know, even supplement income if you want, or you can do it for free, or even through community ed, you sure. know, those people um, that are that are interested, and that gets your your name and your story out there, um, you know, to a lot Great of people. idea. It's just you know, COVID just makes it a little tougher because you don't know if a class is really going to happen, but it, you could do it virtually too, right, right, you know, as well. Right. But I think there's so many people that want to try to capture that legacy, but they don't know how to put it together. Hmm. And well, I'd, I'd love to think that this was something that I could, if not teach someone else, at least mm-hmm. inspire them to, to think about the positive uh, aspects of doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause your book is, is, you know, there's the shutterfly books where, you know, you can do this and do that, but this is, this is different to me. And yeah, it's more substantial. Yeah. It seems like it's a broader picture of the mm-hmm. journey. And again, the reflections from you and from others, you know, in the process and stuff, I, I think that sense of, of the community journey supporting one another is really important. I, I think that's an angle that, that was, that my father's shirts takes that is not familiar, not traditional. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that I'm, as I read it again, I, I'm just, moved and and uh so you know thrilled that there was the support and I, and it's something that I would encourage anybody who was thinking about documenting a journey like this to do 
mm-hmm. is to not do it alone. It, it brings a whole nother level together with mm-hmm. that. Did you have to go and get permissions from everybody who, you know, on Instagram or that's just public domain. So it's okay. Well, I, I let everybody know that I was, that I was doing the book. Um, I said, if you have given me feedback, you know, other than mm-hmm. just a, an icon, a heart or something mm-hmm. that I'm considering putting your comments in the book. Mm-hmm. And if you have any problems with that, please let me know. And I'll be sure not to include your, your mm-hmm. words. Nobody had a problem with it. Mm-hmm. And there were over a hundred people who um, were contributors in that way. Okay. Um, every one of them was, was, you know, either they didn't reply and then mm-hmm. I have to take that as implied consent mm-hmm. uh, or, um, or they gave me a big thumbs up mm-hmm. about it. Um, and I acknowledge them all in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think most people in the caring circle are fine because they're, they're about awareness. They're about helping others. And so, um, you know, and that, and that can really help build, you know, your community, you know, if you decide you want to do classes or something like that, or teach people, you know, mm-hmm. or do, do consultations with them, whatever, um, for them to be, to be part of, I, I find when people are part of, they help spread the word, you know, a little bit more too. And, mm-hmm. you know, today is spreading the word. So they ain't complicated. It's like, you know, where do you go? Cause there's so many different avenues. Well, I'm, I'm really grateful to you to, for helping, for helping me do that a bit. Well, you know, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years and, you know, the isolation and the disconnectedness that you can feel on this journey. And that was way before COVID hit, you mm-hmm. know, but just like, where do you go? What do you do? How do you, what are the options? I mean, it's, to me, it's inspiring and it's hopeful to hear stories of what others are doing. How are they coping on their journey? Cause I think there's nuggets in everybody's journey that we can apply mm-hmm. and that we, and that we should not only just, you know, kind of hone in for ourselves, but that we should pass along to the next person too. I think you're, I think you're right. And I think that what my father's shirts on Instagram accomplished was really broadening the community. I mean, it mm-hmm. wasn't just, it wasn't just me and one other person. It was me and everyone on my, you know, Instagram feed. Yep. And they could read the comments that someone else had made and then feed off of those, mm-hmm. you know, and it just had this, had this wonderful kind of tumbling quality. Like yeah. people would, people would continue to, people would get wrapped up in, in some of the side dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was just lovely. Well, you know, back in, I think it was, I think it was like 2011, I had been in the space just a a couple of years. And, you know, I was honored to be recognized um, by ShareCare, which is like the largest health and wellness, you know, um, company on the, on the web and Dr. Oz as the number one influencer for Alzheimer's disease, which just shocked me because I, Hmm. Hey, it's just me, you know? And they were like, I'm, and I was questioning, well, how can this be? I'm just a daughter. You know, I'm not, I'm nothing official here. I'm just, I'm someone trying to make a difference, but I'm not a large organization. I'm not funded. You know, I'm not any of those things. And they did their metrics. And what they said was exactly what you were saying. It just has legs of its own and it just keeps going 
and it it's like rebirthed every time it's shared or somebody makes a comment and mm-hmm. you know i think they went like 80 metrics deep and they said we just had to stop but we couldn't believe your the content doesn't die mm-hmm. and and that's with yours too when you're when you're telling a true story the content lives on because someone else is always going to be on that journey right and, right. and mm-hmm. need that information and so developing that tribe that you've developed that believes in you and you know your authentic storytelling i think that that is i think that is the most powerful way of communication i think it's the most powerful advertising tool and yet Mm -hmm. i still see big companies trying to leverage it and botch it that aren't authentic Mm, mm. and and that kills it because people can tell if you're real or not yeah yeah there's there's a really big difference well i think i think that the work that i've been doing is so specific i mean Mm. i think this is this is this is a truism that i always operate on which is that the more specific you are the more specific you can be the broad more broadly understandable your Mm -hmm. story ends up becoming so I've been, you know, tasking myself with being as clear, as detailed, as Mm -hmm. focused, and as first person Mm -hmm. as I possibly can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the story, as a result, it resonates with a lot of people. Well, because it's not a singular journey. We're all just kind of stones thrown in the pool, and there's this big old ripple effect. And Mm -hmm. I just think there's such beauty and power in storytelling and and, you know, telling the good, the bad, and the ugly, because mm-hmm. life's not perfect. It wasn't before dementia. So stop blaming it all on dementia. It's right. just the world right. we live in. And it's, it's, you know, how are we going to deal with that? How are we going to live graciously alongside this disease, which your book is a beautiful display of? Well, thank you. Yeah. I, 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 I was going to say something and now it, your comment, your compliment has sort of derailed me. I think it's just so important to, to feel comfortable with our own situations because we're not alone. And I think so Mm -hmm. often we feel alone, we feel isolated um, and that gets us down, that gets us depressed. We don't feel supported, but what I found anyways on my journey, and it sounds like you did with yours, as you share it, it's, it's people just kind of pop up all over the place. And, and it's just like, oh, I've been affected by that. Really? And they are like, so eager to talk to somebody who's on the same path, who's not going to think that they're crazy. Right. And they're and they're not going to judge them for the various feelings that they have throughout this journey. You know, we, that's another, I think, big myth that needs to get like slapped down is, you know, you have to be the, the perfect care partner. Well, you know what, we we have this range of emotions from the day we're born till the day we mm-hmm. die. And, mm-hmm. and they're not going away because someone got a diagnosis of dementia. As care partners, we're going to have our good days and bad days, just like they are. Well, and, and, and I think here's one, maybe what I was trying to get at before, but there's not a switch. It's not as if, mm-hmm. you know, someone gets a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and all of a sudden, whoop, they are, you know, they are doomed, you know, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the end of their life. I mean, certainly the, there's that pool. I mean, you just sort of start at the shallow end and you keep going and, you know, the person that you know changes, but they don't stop being the person that you know. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they they just they just their ability to feed back to you changes. And we have to look at how are we communicating? What are we picking up on? We have to rely more on those nonverbal skills that we all have, but we kind of ignore, just like we mm-hmm. ignore the impact that that you know music can have on us or film that can have on us because it's day to day in our life. We're really not paying attention to the significance of those things. Mm-hmm. And I found like little kids were just like bright little light bulbs because they don't see any of the exterior barriers. They don't see any of the loss. They just see a person to play with and engage with. And I I think that's what they teach us that, you know, Hey, they're still there. It's different, but who cares? We can still have fun. Yeah. One of my most heartfelt memories of the, of his process of dying was my 17 year old son coming in and the night before he died and, and just being so open just being so present for him, saying goodbye and, you know, touching him on the shoulder and saying, well, see you tomorrow, grandpa. And, and it just, it, it, I don't know, it, it was as moving to me as anything else that has, you know, that happened in the course of uh, that grief and bereavement journey. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think our children have so much to teach us. You know, uh, they, they look at the world very differently. Sometimes we like the way they look at it. Sometimes we don't, you know, but that's never, ever going to change. You know, mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. I think this is, uh, like I said, just a, a brilliant book that you've put together and so many things that people can sit back and go, oh, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I know that or I, I could do that or you know, mom does this or dad does, you know, it, it or, is or yeah, or I recognize that I recognize, yeah. you know, I didn't expect to see it in your book, but there mm-hmm. it is this yep. thing I know too. So it's not a secret anymore. And there's comfort in releasing those secrets that we don't even feel like we're hiding, but it's just mm-hmm. a matter of you think no one else knows. I mean, there's just comfort in that. I, I think that's one of the the biggest comforts in the journey is not feeling alone and, and mm-hmm. feeling heard and understood. Again, if you're the person who's diagnosed or if you're somebody caring for them, it, it doesn't really doesn't really make much difference there. Well, people get caught up a little bit in what I sometimes refer to as a dignity trap mm-hmm. where, they, where they're never sure, you know, how to protect their loved one's dignity. You know? And the loved one isn't asking them to. You know, this is this is something that that the family members kind of come up with, like, oh, dad wouldn't want that. It just isn't dignified. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I have to revert to my sense that we really don't know what that person would want, and you know, we 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 dignify them by being respectful of their individuality. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I have a picture of my mom that I adore that my brothers just think is so disrespectful. And she was at the nursing home and they all they were all dressing up like Klondike Kates, you know, for 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 a winter festival here in Minnesota. So she had a, a red feather boa on and bright red lipstick and a hat. Oh my God, but her smile was just huge and the glint in her eyes, she was having a ball. Yep. And they were like, that, that is not mom. That is not, 
Right. And, I, and I'm like, that is mom being joyful. What is so wrong with that? That is the dignity fallacy right there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and it really is a trap. And I, I in fact, on the, my other show on Tuesday, we were talking about this, where I got mad at my parents' friends because they invited them to go down to Texas. And they there's no way they could drive or maneuver an airport. I mean, my mom had dementia. My dad had a brain cancer. And, and then I had to sit back and look at myself going, why would they do that? And it's like, cause you never told them what was going on, Laura, you know, right. and I would go over there and I would make sure my dad was all shaved because he would miss spots and stuff and that they were all, you know, dressed well and had money, you know, to pay. And then their friends would come pick them up and mm-hmm. then they would go out and they'd reminisce like old times. And mm-hmm. so they didn't see any differences, you know, they didn't. And, and it was like, okay, that's my fault. And I didn't even know that I was doing that. I just thought, well, they would, they would like to look how they've always looked with their friends. And I didn't give any thought to hiding the disease. You know what? One of the, one of the most amazing parts of this process has been for me um, watching people who the, the workers the resident, um, the, the aides and whatnot who, who work in, um, in my dad's memory care unit, you know, have only known him since he was there in memory care mm-hmm. and, and as a hospice uh, patient. And they attended, they came after he died, they came in and spoke to us and hung out and just, you know, were there with him. And mm-hmm. the fact that they were so moved by him you know, they had a chance to know him, get to know him over a couple of years. They knew him in a way that was in some ways more profound than any of us because mm-hmm. they were with him every day. And they saw a character to him that was similar to what we knew, you know, and, and the fact that he was able to carry that character through even to a place where we didn't recognize him anymore. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Yeah, I know the feeling of that when my dad died. Um, I actually got a card from one of the workers and she said he was my dad too. Oh wow. It was like, oh wow. She said I didn't have a relationship with my dad and wow. he treated me like a daughter. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And so and I think sometimes families don't understand how profound those connections are with the mm-hmm. staff and that they're grieving too. And I, and I don't always know that companies really take that to heart either in terms of serving their staff and supporting them through that. This isn't a, you know, just a circular door, get used to it, get used to it. You, you know, when someone touches your heart, it's, it's not a task anymore, mm-hmm. it's much deeper mm-hmm. than that. And it needs mm-hmm. to be respected. I would love to make a shout out to, to them if that was okay. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the the staff, the Ecumen Hospice staff at Abitan mm-hmm. uh, in Mill, Abitan Mill City in downtown Minneapolis. They were saints and angels. I, I just am so lucky that we had the opportunity to be with them. Oh, so lucky. That's fantastic. Well, in the company you work for, Gentle Transitions, too. They that's help great. so many families, you including know, us. Know. We, <laughs> I, I, I had my sister hire them to clean dad's room out. They're absolutely amazing on, on so many different levels. And again, it's, 
It's about sharing those nuggets with people, letting them know what are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. How did it work? Those are important things to do. And and businesses and individuals alike need those kudos too. Right. Pushes them Mm -hmm. to do better and more of it. Mm -hmm. And and not many of us get to go through this more than once or twice. So it's really great to have the shared knowledge available, you know, from, from, scores of people who have who have gone before so to have that knowledge compiled somewhere is really beneficial yeah that's an excellent point that's an excellent point how does it feel for you to be a published author now oh i'm i'm gosh i i i wish there was like some moment at which the lights went on and ta-da you know, <laughs> it was it was such a it was such a slow and and sort of step-by-step process, you know, mm-hmm. was I a published author at the moment that I saw the book for the first time or the moment that I accepted 17 boxes of the book? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's great. I'm really happy that the book has been produced uh, for so many of the reasons that we're, we've been talking about. Um, I have a couple of events that I'm doing coming up, which will feel like uh, public moments when when people will you know, get a hold of the book um, mm-hmm. and it starts to get into more people's hands. I think that that's going to make a big difference for me when more people start to see it. Well, George, is there anything else that you'd like to say? This has just been a wonderful conversation and I so appreciate oh. your time. Well, Lori, I, I've been thrilled to be here. It's been special. I, I know your dad will be proud for sure. I mean, it's to have to have someone care enough to document your journey. I mean, wow, that's that states a lot. Now people can get a hold of you by phone or text mm-hmm. at 651-227-9549. But make mm-hmm. sure that you you know who the heck you are and why you're calling so you know you don't get brushed off to spam because we all get exactly. a lot of those calls. Exactly. And then people could also email you at George Gilbert Slade at gmail.com right it was just going to say in the book again is my father's shirts right and, and you can order that through my website which is george photo again thank you so much for your time really appreciate it george Ray, it was great to join you thanks again thank you in wrapping up i just want to again say thank you to our audience i hope you really enjoyed this show and i hope that you pass it along like click and share people need this information And also, I wanted to give a shout out to the All's Authors. You know, if you're caring for somebody on this dementia journey, you're going to want to check out allsauthors.com. They have over 300 authors in a variety of genres that you can um, that you can find some wonderful, wonderful books. It's probably the most comprehensive collection out there. Go to allsauthors.com. They also have a podcast you're going to want to check out too called untangling Alzheimer's in dementia. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.